As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Brentford pile on the misery. We talk Mopo, make it so or no go. We'll look ahead to the trip to Arsenal and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Uh, We're here to try and soothe your pain a little bit. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined by The Athletic's Chelsea reporters. First up, Liam Toomey. Hello. I was going to open with another Drogba French impression, but I fear at this stage only the rude words will do. Yeah, and a couple of people will know what they are, particularly Dom if he's listening, so we don't want to get in trouble. Simon Johnson's also with us. Simon, even a man of your glass-half-full sunny disposition must be struggling to find some positives at the moment. I can't even find the glass. <laughs> there is no glass. I think I broke it. It's been drained. Quite a while ago. But look, here's my glass half full uh, comment. It's just a month of this season left. <laughs> Put it in your diaries. Ring that date. The suffering is nearly over. The suffering is nearly over, but I'm afraid it's not yet. We're going to have to talk about the Brentford game. That's up first. Brian and Bumble. Oh, that's a second for Brentford. Brian and Bumble off the bench as Brentford look to be best in the West. The bees are buzzing. There's a chilling feeling for Chelsea once again, who go two behind at home. This is not a sob story, but everything's going against us. You know, like that, that game was a clear one where. Even though we're not creating big chances, we had control of the first half as much as you can with Brentford because they'll always turn you around and, and, st- and break the game up. Um, so we have to believe them. And the game's coming up in uh, difficult games, really difficult running. Maybe that test is all right. Some players came into the game, I think, and did okay. And maybe it's time to see some of those players a bit more because our position is we know where we can't get there, where we want to be as a, as a club right now. So we have to maybe look at that. Um, but at the moment, as I say, I, I can't talk about any application things about the squad. You know, when you when you're in that moment, and everyone's maybe 20% down on confidence. That moment to beat a man, that moment to deliver, that half chance we get, we're not taking. And um, that's the story for me. 
Uh, the latest slice of pain served up by Brentford at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. The Bees winning at Chelsea for the second season in succession. Here's Liam's latest lament at full time. The boos at full time weren't even that loud, to be honest. Partly because I think half the Chelsea fans who are in this stadium tonight took their cue from Brian and Buemo's goal to leave a good 10 minutes before the end. Partly because I think the fans who stayed are still cognizant of trying to be supportive of Frank Lampard, who remains a club legend. There was a moment in added time when they responded to Brentford's taunts of Frank Lampard, we want you to stay with a a rousing rendition of Frank Lampard, he's won more than you. That was really the loudest noise um, from the home fans in, in the second half. They tried to get into it as Chelsea pushed to get back into the game after that slightly unfortunate Cesar's Piliqueta goal. But they weren't given much to get excited about at any stage, really. Aside from a brief spell of pressure at the start of the second half, Chelsea were absolutely abject here. And to be honest, the warning signs were there. From the moment the team news dropped, Lampard went with a similar starting setup to what he'd done against Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge with Conor Gallagher and N'Golo Kante either side of the only recognised attacker, this time Raheem Sterling rather than Kai Havertz. It was hard to imagine Chelsea even generating a shot, never mind scoring a goal. And so it proves in a really, really dire first half. Brentford didn't even need a shot to take the lead because that's, that, that's what happens with visiting teams at Stamford Bridge these days. A corner going in off the arm of the unfortunate Cesar's Piliqueta on his return from a lengthy absence. Lampard tried to change it up at half-time. Braun Mudrick and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And Chelsea did look like more of a functional football team at least. But they didn't really look like scoring. And Brentford cut through them on the counter-attack and made it 2-0. And that was that. It's now five defeats from five matches for Lampard as caretaker manager. Just an utterly miserable return for him. Um, And a season that has plumb new depths, really, of pain for Chelsea fans. Still finds new ways to surprise. A reminder that Chelsea still need to play all of the Premier League's top four in their final six matches. It's very conceivable they don't win again between now and May. Uh, And while I think they've got enough of a cushion to avoid relegation... It's hard to give them uh, much of a guarantee beyond that. Absolutely abject. I think you're you're right there, Liam. I asked our listeners to share their thoughts on what's been happening. Here's Paul who says, I can't recall a season with so few highlights. The relegation season in 88 was more enjoyable than this one. It's become a chore just to turn up and watch. And what I noticed, Liam, was it seemed to me that some people made the decision not to turn up and watch. It didn't look like a full Stamford Bridge. No, it didn't. Uh, I still thought it was maybe a couple of thousand seats off capacity. So there's still a decent sized crowd, but I, I had received word before the game that there there had been quite a few tickets available on the official exchange. So I think a lot of the regular Stamford Bridge goers were not quite so keen, particularly given this is a midweek game and not necessarily that convenient anyway the level of motivation was not high and the level of optimism was not high. And and in the end, that level of optimism was well-founded based on what we saw. 
Yeah, uh, a lot of optimism for Brentford when they saw the Chelsea team. Path Malay asks, any logical sense behind starting eleven and formation? Um, Simon, it kind of aped the, the Real Madrid second leg, didn't it? But this was a Brentford team without a win in six rather than the European champions. Yeah, it, I, I don't understand it. I still don't understand it. it. Was the design to get a point, to reach the magical 40-point barrier? I mean, it was weird. And, and, it's, and especially as the two teams play different style of football, you know, there isn't, Brentford were always going to sit back. So therefore you need some creativity in, in the forward positions and Chelsea didn't have any creativity at all until the second half when Lampard made some changes. It was dire. It was appalling. I, I said at half time, obviously with a, with a slight nod to Tottenham, I think Chelsea should refund the fans at half time. I actually genuinely felt sorry for them those that have paid good money to, to watch that. It's not good enough. You can point the fingers at, at owners, at Lampard, but I think the players also have to take a fair chunk of the responsibility. You know, they're paid a good wage and I, I get that confidence levels can dip. It can be hard to motivate yourself when there's nothing to play for, but surely professional pride should come into it. And I didn't see enough of that in that performance. Do you agree with that, Liam? Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's always hard to tell from the outside where a lack of confidence ends and a lack of effort begins because one can often look like the other and they can often bleed into each other when times are bad. I don't think it's fair to talk too much about Lampard because ultimately he's come in in sort of the final 10 pages of this season. The story has been written. But I do think it's fair to, to talk about the decisions that he makes for these games. And I just felt for this match, he didn't give Chelsea the best opportunity to to even score, let alone win with the way that he set up. I got this feeling from Lampard's first spell as well, that if he came up with a, a, a game plan that worked to a degree in one game, he always seemed to persist with it in the subsequent games, regardless of who the opponent was, until it didn't work anymore and then he would change. And that's what this felt like as well. There was just a lack of recognition of the fact that Brentford play completely differently to Real Madrid and are trying to do completely different things against you. You know, there have been suggestions, not least from Lampard himself, but also from from other people that I respect that, 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 that there is a physical issue with this Chelsea squad and that maybe picking a team like that is designed to address it, you know, picking the the fittest players, the hardest runners. But you've also got about 10 forwards and five substitutes. You know, if they're, if they're out on their feet after 60 minutes or 70 minutes and the intensity's dropped, you can always take them off and swap them out. But it just, it just felt like Chelsea set up not to concede. They still managed to concede in freakish circumstances. And then they were forced into the situation they've been forced into far too much this year of playing against a team that has a lead to protect in a complete low block. They had 15 okay minutes at the start of the second half when Lampard made uh, the two changes and brought Madrid and Aubameyang on, switched to 4-3-3. But as soon as Brentford reacted on the hour mark and Thomas Frank brought on players to exploit Chelsea on the counter-attack, it didn't take them long to start cutting through. And and the the Embuemo goal, you know, it was well taken, but it was also pretty pathetic in the way that Chelsea conceded it. And uh, I completely understood why 
a lot of fans took that as their signal to go home. Yeah, that's a, a concern because Chelsea have been all right defensively this season, got one of the better records. At the other end of the pitch, though, still struggling. Paddy says, how concerned should we be by the fact that Chelsea don't look like winning a single game or even scoring a goal for the rest of the season? We could genuinely get mauled by Arsenal and City. Do, do you feel, Simon, that... And Newcastle, as Lucy points out. Do you feel, Simon, that... that Frank Lampard is going damage limitation and, and has kind of almost accepted that, that Chelsea aren't going to score any goals or, or did we see the opposite side of that in him making those substitutions at halftime and, and putting an actual striker on who at least gave a focal point if not really looked like scoring at, at any point in Aubameyang? Well, well, on the flip side, maybe what he saw in the second half, that the, the bright spell might encourage him to, to go with that a bit more in the run-in because clearly... The more defensive setup, certainly at home, doesn't doesn't work. I mean, perhaps Arsenal away, perhaps actually that will lead to him continuing to be negative. But in terms of the the genuine concern about goals, points, the remaining of the season, I think Chelsea fans rightfully should be concerned if they'll get another point because the the form is that bad. No, no, no team has won. Fewer games since mid-October than them. Uh, in terms of goal drought, I mean, it's, what is it, one in seven or something ridiculous. Um, so I'm not really saying anything that, that's particularly insightful. I mean, the, the, the stats say it all. Chelsea are are limping towards the finishing. Well, not even limping. I think they're sort of, they've got the crutches and the, <laughs> it's just... The cane, the cane's out. Probably uh, a few other things that that help it. Probably got a care worker trying to. Well, that's Lampard trying to <laughs> help them across the street. Uh, what other analogies can I come up with? Keep uh, going. I'm not, I'm not going to stop you. I just. It, want it's like my on. car. It's like my car in a in a supermarket <laughs> car park. I, I'm putting the keys in and it's not working. Uh, so basically, you have to go online and get something else which is what they're doing. And they're talking to somebody else about taking over. But I've gone off on so many tangents there. I don't know how to finish this rant. But basically, the end of season DVD is not going to be very expensive this season. Uh, Vaughan wants to know, Liam, did Bowley and Co just make things worse with all the new signings? And should Chelsea just have stuck with Potter? I'm fascinated by what the mood would be like if Potter was still in charge because I feel like Frank Lampard's a good deflector in terms of you know the atmosphere didn't turn really sour last night because Chelsea fans are reluctant to to get on his back in a way that they probably would have been with Potter but but you feel like the results would have been better if they if they'd stuck with Potter. Well, the the results that we have to go on suggest that given what's happened, I don't think the the atmosphere in the squad would have been much better with Potter there, to be honest, because I, I don't think Lampard has created that. I think the incredible recruitment drive without selling anyone, the amount of change around the club ha- has destroyed any semblance of a dressing room, really. I've never known in all my time covering Chelsea, in all my time, uh, in all my eight years of covering Chelsea, even in 2015-16, you know, I've, I've never known a a dressing room situation like this where you have so many players who who are either unsure of their future at the club know they don't have a future at the club or don't want one or are just really unsure and unsettled about the 
the broader direction of things. And this is something that Simon and I are going to be working on the next few days, but it's just absolutely, it's, it's incredibly bleak. And I, I think whether it was Potter, Lampard or, or anyone else, I think they would really, really struggle to get a, a proper motivated tune out of these players with so little on the line as well um, for, for the team between now and the end of May, because it's just not an atmosphere conducive to to success I, I you know the owners have chosen this path with so many new players and Chelsea are in it now they need to try and resolve it in the summer but for now it is just a mess it sure is but there's somebody who we think is going to come in and help sort it out or well, that's the aim at least we'll talk about the potential incoming head coach next does Monday at the office feel like a storm not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So it looks like Chelsea have found their new manager slash head coach. His name is Maurizio Pochettino and despite his unfortunate dalliance with those chumps from North London, he seems to me like the perfect choice. Simon, what what do you think of this? We, we know that the, the candidates have been whittled down. Some of them have taken themselves out of the running. Yeah, you're getting a guy here with, with Premier League experience, with experience of, of managing a, a big club full of egos in the dressing room. Uh, is this going to work? He was he was mooted or, or interviewed when, when Potter was appointed. Is this, is this the guy to take Chelsea forward? And are we now working on the assumption that it is going to be Maurizio Pochettino? Um. Let's deal with the last bit first. Until it's done, obviously, minds can be changed on, on either side. And and Chelsea is still making it clear that this is an exhaustive process, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I've been hearing this for a while. But Pochettino, for the last week in particular, has, has shot up right to the top. Depending who you believe on the Nagelsmann and Enrique the sort of two previous favourites, of course, their people around them will say, well, it was their decision. Chelsea are sort of saying, no, we spoke to them, liked what we heard, but weren't convinced once we looked into them. Hence the piece I wrote, particularly about Nagelsmann and Pochettino uh, last Saturday. Pochettino is uh, seen as a more viable candidate than Nagelsmann. But all the noises are that, that, that Pochettino... It, is there for him and he he sounds like he really wants the job. He's been talking about what players he wants to keep from the current squad with the owners. Um, you get the impression that what's going on at the moment is talking over all the little nitty gritty. Obviously the contract will be part of it. These backroom staff, et cetera, et cetera. 
it sounded to me uh, earlier this week that it was only a matter of when, not if. Um, but here we are recording on Thursdays, yet to be announced. It could take a bit longer, but I would still be surprised if it doesn't happen, put it that way. As for is he the right man and can he make this a success? I'm afraid I'm going to have to say knows <laughs> because Chelsea is a bit of a bonkers club at the moment and it's a tough job for anybody. Like, even the best manager in the world could come in and struggle right at the moment. There's so, there's so many things to sort out, but he does tick a lot of boxes. Uh, you take away the Tottenham part of his CV in terms of the club he achieved that at. You would say, right, a guy that builds a team from a struggling position, works with young players, turns them into Champions League finalists and, and turns them back into contenders again. And then also has the the vital experience, as unpleasant as it was, just as Thomas Tuchel found, of working with the egos at PSG. So walking at Chelsea is not going to be as intimidating for him as if he joined from Tottenham, for example. I think that PSG part of his learning curve is huge because as Thomas Tuchel found almost anything after that, even Chelsea clubs bonkers as Chelsea it is not as mad as P- PSG may actually be the most bonkers club or hardest club to work for in football. So I, I've wrapped, wrapped my head around it. I can certainly see the positives, but as, as it's so hard to predict where Chelsea are going to go from here because they are at rock bottom. And I suppose the one way of looking at it is the only way is up. And and Pochettino, I, I can see that he would bring about an improvement, but how much is, is hard to say right now. What I would add to what Simon said is I think among all of the names that have, have been linked with this job recently, my opinion is that Pochettino has the best resume in terms of the specific skill set that Chelsea need at this point in time. The the core of the squad, particularly when you're looking at the players that Chelsea signed in January and are now trying to build around, is quite similar in profile to what Tottenham's squad was in 2014 in terms of key, very talented players under the age of 24 who can be moulded and developed and grow together. And then there's also the fact that over the past year or so, Todd Bowley and Badade Bali have essentially broken down the Chelsea that we knew under Roman Abramovich. And I don't think they necessarily regret that because they made it clear from the outset that they wanted to run the club a different way. They didn't have particular affection for the way Abramovich had done things. But in the short term, that means Chelsea has been broken down into into a lot of kind of small constituent parts. And there are lots of people in varying departments, not just the first team squad, who are settling into new roles and finding their way. And I think what Pochettino has shown is that he he's not just talented at constructing a team, he's, he's a talented builder when it comes to a club. He can build up a club over a period of time. He can, he can contribute to the setting of a culture. And I think that's just as important for what Chelsea need right now as someone who can just come in and, and make sense of this, this squad. Although clearly that is going to be probably priority number one this summer. Uh, I want to bring in producer Lucy at this point because she is a Chelsea supporter. Uh, Lucy, we've got a tweet here from at John Do 999799923 who says, can we have Poch now? Never thought I'd say that 12 months ago. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. How do you feel about the flow going the other way for once in Chelsea hiring an ex-Spurs manager? I have a 
lot of Spurs supporting friends. So in that sense, I think it's hilarious because I think they've wanted him back basically since the day he left. So that side of it is entertaining. I agree with everything that's been said. I think he's sort of the best option probably. I think it will be weird. I just associate him with being Spurs' manager and he's always kind of played golf with Ozzy Ardiles and he just seems like he's still very much part of Tottenham. So I think it will be really weird for a really long time. I think it went really badly as well at Tottenham. People forget how poor they were at the back end of the season where they got to the Champions League final and then the start of the next season. I think they won three of their last 12 games. In, uh, it was full capitulation, I guess, like it was with, with Tuchel last year. So, yeah, I'm going to Tottenham tonight, actually. So I look forward to kind of rubbing it in a little bit. But uh, no, I think it, yeah, I'm, I think it'll be fine. But I'm not fully like, wow, this is the best appointment ever. But yeah, just to troll Spurs, I think it's worth it. And with the Premier League experience, with young players with you working with superstars he does tick all those boxes just please for everyone's sake lucy hold off on buying the potch chelsea jersey <laughs> for now <laughs> no more merch no no we've learned our lesson on that one uh although you might get some wear out of your lukaku shit next season uh here is at five four three two one cfc who says given the current state of things surely it's better to let the new manager have a fresh start in the summer rather than inherit this mess simon liam spoke in his voice note about how potch has got a lot of bargaining power now given what's happened i guess one of his uh insistences will be i'm not having the stanker this season anywhere near me thank you very much i'll watch the remaining few games and come in on june 1st and we'll go from there for sure. I mean, I've been asked this a lot. You know, I was Poch's going to take over now. <laughs> Why on earth would he? <laughs> well, you know, anyone with a brain would not touch this with a barge pole. If if nothing else, for the fixture list, you know, the fixture list is horrific. I mean, it's far, you've got, you know, the, all four members of the top four in your last six games. And a revitalised two-time European champions to come to the bridge still. Well, I, I left that for you to say, um, and I presume we're not talking about Bournemouth. Uh, so, so, so um, although you know they, they will probably look uh, like European champions when they play against Chelsea, but you know, no, I mean it makes no sense whatsoever. What does make sense is for the managers to be appointed sooner rather than later, to be working away in the background on. The stuff Liam's talking about, the squad, who's in, who's out, who do I want to make plans pre-season. Of course, they're announcing fixtures or they've announced the fixtures, but you obviously want to set in stone what you when you, you know, your first day, you know, what what players are going to do. He can and he can study Chelsea, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it does make a lot of sense for this appointment to be made soon. Just as not saying it will have the same effect, but we all remember Antonio Conte. He was Italy coach at the time, but he was appointed, announced in April 2016. Of course, Chelsea's previous worst season um, of uh, this millennium. And that that paid dividends because Conte from day one was on it, got the squad in. And, and of course, Chelsea went on to win the title the, the next season. Now, I'm not saying Chelsea's going to make that kind of leap, but... A bit like how you want to make signings before the start of pre-season because you can ingratiate them, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, you want to get this coaching situation resolved so everyone knows where they're at. And discussions with 
he, for example, he can start talking to the players. He can talk to the players that, oh, hang on, I want you to stay, sign a new deal. Oh, you, you can start packing, etc. I think everyone could benefit from that. All right. Uh, well, look, Maurizio Pochettino for now is awaiting his appointment as Chelsea manager. You might be listening to this and, and laughing because actually it was Jesse Marsh all along and that's been announced just after <laughs> we recorded. But we'll see. Uh, next today, we're going to have a look ahead to the game against Arsenal. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, well, we thought we might riff on somebody else's pain for a little bit. Adrian Clark of the Athletics Arsenal podcast, Handbreak Off, joins us now to discuss Chelsea's trip to the Emirates on Tuesday night. Um, Adrian, if you take some solace at least from the fact that, that Chelsea and Spurs have, have had an even more miserable few days than Arsenal? Some, but, but it, it's, yeah, the Chelsea and Spurs have given Arsenal fans a lot of joy in, in recent weeks. Um, I can't deny it. But but yeah, pain of her own at the Etihad, that is for sure. I mean, that was a bruising beating that, that we took there. That was it, it was four, but City could have had six or seven, couldn't they? So yeah, um to, to coin a Lampardism, um you you're gonna catch Arsenal in a bad moment. <laughs> um is that it now for the title race? It's never it, is it, until it's over. But I, I think the, the supercomputer rates Arsenal's chances at 8%. So I think that's fair. But that doesn't mean Arsenal won't try in this game. I think there'll be a real determination to end the season properly. Obviously, four without a win. And all of those games have had various uh, predicaments and nightmares and, and, and things that that need to be fixed. And I think there will be a steely determination to to make sure that it's not winless in five. I, I think Arsenal will be bang up for this game just because they want to end the season properly, even even if even if um, they can't win the title. Hi, Adrian. I just wanted to ask, is there a level of gratitude from Arsenal fans towards Chelsea? Uh, not not just for the comic relief of this season, but for for the Arteta era? Because I don't know if you remember that a couple of years ago, Arteta seemed to be on the verge of the sack and it was a victory over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge that seemed to be the beginning of the turning point for him. Chelsea gave him life when he needed it most and, and, and look how he's run with it. This is true. Yeah, look, a lot of Arsenal fans do look back at that game as as a transformational one for Arteta's Arsenal. Oh. It was a really dark place at that time. Arsenal were in kind of relegation trouble and he went for it. He 
just played a lot of the kids and, and shook up the starting lineup. And it kind of clicked on that night. And, and then, yeah, they've gone from strength to strength. So, yeah, I guess so. In a funny kind of way, maybe they owe Chelsea a little bit of gratitude. But, yeah, that was that was a big game. And it's interesting because I, th- I think in light of what happened at Manchester City with Arsenal, it feels as if the team is um, ripe for another shake-up just to bring some kind of fresh energy to the starting eleven. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Arteta goes with a very different starting eleven to, to what you might expect. Hi, Adrian. Um, it's sort of a loaded question here. In terms of the, the downturn, it, it feels very much shades of this time last year, where, of course, Arsenal sort of contrived to drop out the top four in the last sort of dozen games when it seemed like theirs for the taking. Is it a mentality issue or is this sort of to do with injuries, uh, strength of squad, Saliba, for example, being out? Is there a mentality issue or is it these other factors? I don't think there's a mentality problem and I don't think Arsenal are bottling it as such. Some people would would love to say that and they get a lot of pleasure out of saying that. I wouldn't say that's the case. I think a a lack of squad depth has definitely hurt Arsenal, particularly at centre-back with Saliba out, holding is a, is, a, is a big downgrade. And it's not about what Rob does himself. It's just the knock-on effect for the players around him. So so that's been a problem. And I do think tension has been um, a slight problem too, because, um, yeah, under pressure, the team's tightened up. No doubt about that. And, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Chelsea and, under Frank Lampard will sort of prey on that and, and get after Arsenal or if they'll let them off the hook. Jorginho, how how has he done since he joined? Of course, some Chelsea fans were upset he left, some were still celebrating. So how would you say his impact has been? Minimal, really. Um, scored a worldie, didn't he, at Aston Villa? That was great. And he had a couple of decent matches, but we've barely seen him since Thomas Partey's been fit and available. I think a lot of Arsenal fans wanted him to start at the Etihad maybe alongside Thomas Partey. And he would certainly have played better than, than Partey, who had a bit of a nightmare in that game. So, yeah, Jorginho has been peripheral, if, if I'm being honest. But he hasn't upset anyone. I think Arsenal fans are quite happy with his neat and tidy style and he fits in well with the, with the way of playing. Personally, I hope he starts in the game because um, in central midfield, Arsenal were, were pretty rotten at the Etihad. And, and if I was Arteta, I would shake up that particular department for this game. And he's the obvious one to, to bring in, I think. And on a related note, in terms of players that, that Chelsea and Arsenal both have an interest in, I was just wondering what the what your sense is of the Arsenal perspective on Michaela Mudrick and everything that's happened with him since since January. I mean, it, clearly the the immediate impact of Leandro Trossard has, has, has dulled the blow somewhat in terms of Arsenal maintaining their their form on the pitch. But what what do you get the senses of feelings towards Madrid and the idea of how he's gotten on? I think there's a little bit of sympathy towards Madrid because he clearly wanted to go to Arsenal initially and then for for various reasons it, it, it wasn't going to be possible. And he's ended up at a place where they had no plan for him. Arsenal definitely got lucky with Trossard being the backup because he's been great. He's made a load of load of assists, fits in perfectly with the team and he was obviously Premier League ready. So I think Arsenal deserve quite a lot of credit for having a plan B in place. 
Um, but at the time, we were gutted, absolutely gutted, because we thought this one of European football's hottest properties was heading our way. He was gagging to be a gooner. And then suddenly Chelsea swooped in and, and there was, yeah, there, there was a lot of disappointment that has since turned to sort of smugness, I have to say, on an Arsenal fan's part, because because he's obviously looked a little bit raw and hasn't had much of a much of a look in. So yeah, I think the the, the overall sense is that Arsenal kind of got away with one there, dodged a bullet, uh, and that we we landed uh, on a really good player in Trossard. Before we let you go, then give us a prediction: how much are Arsenal going to win by? <laughs> oh goodness me, I don't know. It's I mean, Chelsea, I know this This is a Chelsea podcast, but you, you have been really bad, haven't you? It's not, been a, it's not been a good spell. So I think Arsenal really should win this game. It should be one for them to bounce back in. But confidence isn't high. Not playing with the fluency that we saw a few weeks ago. And, and there's a definite vulnerability to pressing. I don't know whether Chelsea are going to opt to press Arsenal or not, but they probably should. So I think this is two teams kind of out of confidence. I think Arsenal will win it, but I don't think it's going to be a great game and I don't think it's going to be especially high scoring. Brentford were winless in six when they arrived at Stamford Bridge, so I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> oh dear, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be a London dire to remember. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> bad vibes all around the place. Um, Adrian, look, we appreciate you, you coming on and, and- Trying to help lift our mood, if not really succeeding. Uh, I won't say enjoy the game on Tuesday, but yeah, in- endure it at least. <laughs> yeah, keep your chins up, guys. Many thanks to Adrian for joining us there. Uh, so before we move on from this game, Liam, we know that Reese James and Mason Mount are not going to be featuring in it. Kind of sums up Chelsea's season, right? But interesting that it's the hamstring injury that's done for, for James. Uh, you feel like he's been carrying that for a while, but you also feel like he just needs to get himself sorted and right for the start of next season. Uh, but Mason Mount, have we seen him play for Chelsea for the last time? It's a very live question. And I think you can add this to the list of reasons why it might be important to to get Pochettino committed now or sooner rather than later. Because if he is of the view that that Mason Mount is crucial to to the team he wants to build, you want to give him as much time as possible to be able to make that pitch to the people who need to hear it. Everything we've heard suggests it might be an uphill battle at this stage. Um, the direction of travel does seem to be towards Mount leaving Chelsea this summer, but nothing's done until it's done. So I do think it is important for Chelsea to get Pochettino appointed as soon as possible so that he can have a, a real impact on this and other discussions. But, you know, if it does prove to be the case that that Mount does leave, yeah, it'll be a really objectively sad ending, I think, for everyone involved that, not not just the misery of Chelsea's season, but the idea that he wouldn't even really get a proper goodbye. We talked a little bit, Simon, about how Pochettino's got all the cards in terms of his negotiations. Maybe that's the case with Mount as well, given how bad that the season's been and how bad the PR is around the owners at the moment. He's in a position, is he, to say, I want the 300 grand a week and I want a four-year contract, not an eight-year one, thank you very much. And and that that's a, an expensive, but a, a win for the owners, maybe, if they can do that and you know salvage some kind of respectability or joy for Chelsea supporters. Possibly, although people could turn around and go, look at this season, 
that that he himself has had. Unfortunately, he saved his worst season in a Chelsea shirt for the negotiation. Maybe the two are connected. You know, it has it has dragged on all season. It feels like it's 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 been there, overshadowing everything. I find it all very sad, really, that that if he does leave, it's under this cloud um, that it might be perceived as him wanting to leave, which may be the case. But also, sort of, why will he? Why will he want to leave? You know, has the negotiation been as good as it could have been? Of course, it's it's emerged, for example, about the the Champions League uh, clauses that are in players' contracts. Uh, that players are now going to be paid 30% less, etc., because they're not in the Champions League. That will have been part of the conversation, for sure. You can sort of see from the outside, fans will go, well, well, yes, players should be sort of almost penalised for for not achieving targets. But you can also flip it around and go, yeah, but there'll be other clubs that will pay regardless. And, and that's what, Sort of Chelsea may be up against, so it, it is quite a quite a complicated. It's always been complicated. Length of contract is, is, is one of the issues. Um, there are a host of clubs that that want Mount, and we will see what happens over the next few weeks and months. Um, but by months, I mean by June the thirtieth, because if he doesn't sign by then, he'll definitely be on his way. Yep, one to keep an eye on. Let's hope it gets resolved in the way we all hope it does. Uh, Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team playing the second leg of their Champions League semi-final at Camp Nou tonight as we record. They trailed by a goal to nil after the first leg at Stamford Bridge last weekend. In terms of the men's academy sides, the under-21s played their penultimate game of the season on Monday. They lost 3-2 to Spurs. They were 3-0 down. Lucas Moura amongst the Spurs scorers before Dylan Williams and Mason Burstow got late consolations. Their last game of the PL2 campaign is at home to Brighton on Friday night. The Blues currently second in the table. Manchester City already confirmed as champions. The under-18s, meanwhile, played their penultimate league game of the season at Fulham. Um, Simon, what are you going to be working on? Is it is it all systems potch from this point on? Just just trying to generate some sort of positivity? No. <laughs> positivity? What? Uh, no, uh, as Liam's alluded to already, because we're not entirely sure of the Pochettino timeline, it, it's always a bit difficult. You know, it's a bit like when we were asked, when's Potter going to get sacked? It's kind of, unfortunately, we don't have a hotline to the decision makers that are going to tell us, all oh, right, yeah, it's going to be 12 o'clock on Thursday. So we are we, we are working on this piece about what the kind of mood there is presently, which, which obviously relates to Pochettino in terms of the task that will face him if he takes over what he's facing in terms of uh, that dressing room. But yeah, of course, Pochettino is our focus just generally, we, we've got some articles galore, I think, with that in mind. And I think Liam's working on another one, if memory serves. Liam, tell us about that and give us a little push for your piece from the, the Brentford game about the Lampard experiment failing. Yeah, so um, really the the crux of the match piece I wrote from Stanford Bridge was, was more about Pochettino's leverage growing every time Chelsea take to the pitch these days and, and how... The Lampard hire has not worked in any of the ways that the owners hoped it would when they made that decision. But aside from that, as as Simon said, I'm I'm working a lot towards a potential Pochettino hiring. Maybe looking at what players 
could be suited to playing in one of his teams. And aside from that, I'll also be looking forward to a time, some point in the distant future, where we won't have to be making calls and writing pieces on the mood at Chelsea every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Or or certainly a piece that is about a good mood. You know, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Can you remember can you remember the last one of those? Oh, I suppose I wrote an upbeat piece after Chelsea beat Dortmund. I think that was the last it's almost like the upbeat pieces this season reflect the amount of goals Chelsea have scored. It's that kind of it's been that kind of season. <laughs> Yeah, Dortmund feels like a long time ago now, that's for sure. Um, Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be back next week when we'll reflect on that Arsenal game and maybe even talk about a a new head coach being appointed as well. Thanks to Adrian Clark for joining us earlier and to Simon and Liam as ever for their contributions and to Lucy for putting it all together. And we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. The Athletic.